0: And welcome to episode 76 of the Switch Focus podcast. Um, I will be your host for today. Uh, I'm Ginny Wu and I'm joined by my co-host Andrew Brown and um, Andy Corrigan in spirit? Question mark? So just for some clarity, Andy is going to be chiming in on today's podcast, but he's not actually here as we're recording. So um, so there's a little bit of, you know, a de-synch- desynchronicity, that is probably why. Um, but we're glad to have him back. Um, and we have got a pretty big show for you guys today. So we're going to talk about a number of things like the Direct, which was some pretty huge news for all of us Pokemon fans. And also a number of games that we played this week, and the list is decently long um once we're done with that we're going to hit you with our e3 predictions and then talk to you about what we're going to be playing coming forward all right so andrew big episode how are you feeling i'm scared (laughs) someone hold me um i don't think we
1: can really do this (laughs)
0: yeah it's, it's gonna be a pretty big one um i know that we mentioned that we were gonna cover off the smash patch notes individually um and in all of in all of their glory last week but they are long folks they are so long and uh, lots of them also involve sort of really minor or well individual character tweaks um and we didn't know how many uh f- nest mains are out there um but um there's a lot of information there which we which we think probably is extraneous to y'all good folks so we're gonna do your salt and link you the patch notes anyway in our show notes but we're not gonna we're gonna spare you the uh the the rigmarole of us going through every single change to every single character this week um because why pokemon much more fascinating all right so we're gonna wrap this up and move into our first segment For this week, which is the latest Switch news. Let's crack into the latest Switch news for the week. And it is really just one big thing. It is the Sword and Shield Direct. Which we were all very excited about. Well, I was very excited about. I know earlier in the week, um, there were hints, you know, um, people talking about kaiju and godzilla and i was like why is this a conversation that we're having um in the pokemon sphere and then when the direct came out it all made sense so um just a a quick rundown i suppose of some of the major points that people have latched onto um after the direct which y'all would have seen floating around on twitter we have got information now about the region that the game is set in we knew it was going to be in the fake united kingdom already from before um but apparently The most popular form of entertainment in fake UK is fighting. Uh, Nothing new there. Much like in life. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, just like in life. You know, it's getting casual Pokemon knife fights behind dumpsters. That's that's the thing.
1: Pokemon hooligans just lurking on every street corner. (laughs) Getting into fights with rival clubs. (laughs) Rival
0: clubs. How do you you feel about, once again, revisiting the uh, animal cage fighting (laughs) sphere uncritically with the Pokemon series? Uh, I'm tired
1: of it. I'm tired of it. Okay. Mm -hmm. After the last Pokemon Direct, I complained about how safe it looked. And like, you know, it's a Pokemon game. So we know what to expect from a Pokemon game, but you can still Mm -hmm. shake things up. Every region, the most popular thing is Pokemon battles. It's the most popular thing in the world. In every region you go to, everybody does Mm -hmm. Pokemon battles. So, you know, saying that it's the most popular thing is, duh, it's obvious. So, but it, it got me thinking like, I would really like to see this shaken up. Like, there be a region where Pokemon battles aren't popular. So you have to go to an effort to find underground fighting leagues to compete in. And maybe all (laughs) of your equipment is cobbled together junk because nobody actually will sell Pokeballs professionally. So you have to go to, like, a back alley shop and buy these cheap Pokeballs that don't actually work very well. And, you know, I think the series could really be revitalized if they would explore an idea like that rather than Mm -hmm. just having you know another region another eight gyms like and even sun and moon did move away from the gyms and i I was kind of sad to hear that they're bringing the gyms back here it's just the last direct i was disappointed by how safe it was and there was more in this direct that i was happy to see but this direct still felt really safe
0: that's fair enough um i don't know how enamored i am with extending the whole pokemon fight club metaphor even further um seeing as how like the whole average age of what i think it was the average age of a kid in this game like we're looking at like you know we're like 11 to to 14 like i don't know how i feel about like kids going into back alleys to look for illegal <laughs> cage fights oh, well i mean Entertaining, aged them entertaining. up, entertaining. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? Actually, yeah, you know what? I would be happy with that. Can we get some aged up Pokemon up in this joint? Like, can we can we stop like playing as literal children? Yeah, I find it incredibly strange sometimes the things that people say to you in the overworld when you're a child um and also it just seems frankly quite irresponsible free-range children (laughs) like if if battling is the most popular form of entertainment surely should be like an average age for that you know like old enough to buy cigarettes old enough to battle you know not like oh you're 11 trying to throw you out there with your pokemon and time to to punch other things in the face and, like, I mean, parents don't sign any consent forms. Like, what is this? Like, it's just so irresponsible. Like, can we can we get, like, an older Pokemon? I just am really passionate about aging up the series. If we're going to go in the Pokemon Coliseum RPG direction, where all the main characters are adults, why don't we just age up everyone else? Age up the main character, you know? I feel like yeah. it gives series more 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 room to, to to progress and grow and maybe introduce different topics and whatnot like it clearly this clearly is a regular pokemon game that has additional i would say elements that we found in the old pokemon gamecube rpgs right like the elements are clearly there so if the franchise is moving in this direction let's just go all out you know do away with the kids yeah pokemon is for adults let's do it
1: like even the opening of the detective pikachu movie was the first oh, scene yeah. in that movie was tim and his 20 something friend going out and trying to capture yeah. a cubone and failing miserably at it and it was great yeah. it was hilarious yeah. and it definitely connected with people who played the game in the 90s and were now tim's age yeah I don't think there would be anything wrong with aging the characters up a little bit. Just a little bit. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, you can just go the Final Fantasy route. Make them 17 and pretend they're 40.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. Yeah, 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 I respect that. That is, come on, Nintendo. If you're listening, Nintendo... We want them aged up a tiny a tiny bit. Just enough to leave home without needing parental consent. All right? This enough old enough to move out of home. That's how old we want them.
1: Old enough that they've graduated high school and it's believable that they can fend for themselves in the wild and In the cook, wild <laughs> and cook and yeah. handle finances.
0: <laughs> yeah, and like never go home ever and just continuously live, I guess, essentially on the mean streets of galah
1: dodging roving bands of pokemon hooligans
0: yes exactly 100
1: oh man there's gonna be a pokemon riot in this game isn't there
0: oh well we, we never know
1: we're gonna end up somewhere in ireland and something is going to happen and suddenly the catholics and the protestants are going to be attacking each other
0: or alternately there's going to be alternatively gradons gonna appear split the continent and then we're gonna have brexit all over again <laughs> but we'll see Anything could really happen. Oh, there's you know? <laughs> gonna be so
1: many Brexit jokes about this game, Arthur. I hadn't even thought about that. Yeah, oh no. Exactly.
0: I, I am sure there are gonna be a million and one screenshots when the game comes out about Brexit. Because i mean Nintendo, y'all did pick y'all did pick the UK. Yeah. You picked it. You really you really went there during this time. <laughs> In uh, the year of our Lord 2019, that's the material you came out with. So I hope you are prepared for the deluge of memes. Will be like a yakuza style, yakuza zero style influx of memes. But we'll we'll see. You know, um, we'll look forward to that. A- aside though from our our entire tangent about Brexit from Pokemon battling, um, <laughs> a couple of other things that I thought were really cool from the direct, I would say I like I said before just now the the things which I had remembered, um, or really really wanted the old pokemon rpgs to have so just the way i suppose um weather works and like sort of dynamic environments and stuff i see here we've got in sword and shield weather and pokemon will change day by day um which is i i think a nice way to make the world feel more lived in i suppose um also having a fully controllable 3d camera available in certain wild areas which seems to suggest that other parts of the game will have the regular fixed camera. So I think this, I think, I think mixing up the interface works and is interesting. Um, but why not just have a fully controllable three D camera all the way through? Yeah,
1: totally. You know,
0: just do that. Just do that. <laughs>
1: Reading between the lines of what they've said about the wild areas, it sounds mm. like that's going to be an end game zone that you spend yeah. your time in, and mm. the rest of the game is going to be, you know, like the three Ds games with yeah a a, a a nice graphical upgrade like we've we've seen more of where the battles take place now and stuff and it does look like it's integrated into the world more so it's a more cohesive world but still Mm -hmm. like i looked at those wild areas and then i thought about how like the battle frontier or whatever it's called in the past pokemon games have worked as part of its end game and it's like oh that's the direction you're going with this these wild areas aren't actually where we're going to be spending time between towns so uh uh, i'm happy to be proven wrong i hope i'm proven Mm -hmm. wrong but I I think that's what these wild areas is going to be, is a playground that you're let into after you become the master trainer. And like, you know, once I'm at that point, I don't even know if I'm going to be playing Pokemon anymore. So it'll be too little too late.
0: Fair call. Um, Yeah, I am really not sure what the deal is about about that still. Um, I sort of saw them. I sort of thought about them more as safari zone type areas. Yeah. So maybe like not quite end game, but in that sort of whole like, oh, come and put some honey here, trap a Pokemon here, like interact organically with you know the world around you. Like the whole like changing Pokemon type thing seemed to fit the safari zone meta very well. But we'll probably know more when E three rolls around and and we get some. I would say a lot more. I would say more footage um, of of the game for sure. Up until then, I think I'll reserve my judgment on that. But I really do wish they would just make the camera fully controllable 3D all the way around. Like, you can clearly do it, Nintendo. You've done it for these particular areas. Just give us some of that freedom, man. Give us some of that freedom. Because out of all the outlandish things to have in the Galar universe, (laughs) a fully controllable 3D camera for players, Mm. but gigantic kaiju Pokemon apparently just fine just fine that is apparently normal um they are now called dynamax pokemon um they're just supersized mega pokemon they're just like the mega evils but gigantic we're talking attack on titan levels of gigantic (laughs) and from the footage it looks like i guess that the gym battles are going to revolve around dynamax pokemon which seems to me frankly irresponsible and architecturally impossible. (laughs) But um, I'm I'm just saying, I've seen the size of some of these gyms, you know, not big. But that's fine. That is how things are going to work. And there are going to be raid battles, which I see they're kind of pulling from the Pokemon Go side of the franchise, whereby it's going to be four trainers versus one wild Dynamax Pokemon. So I love me some kaiju. I love me some mechs. I love me sort of super-sized monster anime. So I am completely fine with a gigantic pikachu wiping the floor with me in fact i relish (laughs) the opportunity to have my butt kicked by a gigantic pikachu but that being said how do you feel about this does it feel kind of gimmicky to you
1: yeah pretty much i mean (laughs) if you just this is kind of sucking all the fun out of it but if you just abstract Mm -hmm. it as just a technical thing you're just making the the polygons bigger. That's all you're doing. <laughs> I mean, it's not that impressive. Uh, mechanically, it just sounds like Mega Pokemon. I mean, and mm. I, I barely used Mega Pokemon in X and Y and in Sun and Moon because I, I thought they were kind of boring. But yeah. the game made it totally possible for you to just ignore them if you wanted to. But they're yeah. making it sound very much like a, you can't ignore the Dynamax Mons uh, in this game, and I'm not real excited about being forced into using them Uh, so I I am the wild areas thumbs up everything else hovering hand i don't know and eh, could be good could be bad i'm concerned
0: <laughs> fair call um like i said all on board the kaiju pokemon train give it yeah. to me but the raid how... the raid fights
1: are great I, i'm all for those but i'm just like why do we then have to control the giant size pokemon why yeah uh, why can't my litten just be a litten why does it have to evolve into a pro wrestler
0: <laughs> Let them stay cute forever. <laughs> Not in the Galar region, where there are roaming bands of Pokemon hooligans. Andrew, <laughs> oh bless. Well, that is that is I suppose that is that um, from the direct. Oh, honorable mention to uh, Wooloo the sheep Pokemon. Um, <laughs> just because I know that that adorable mon has been dominating everyone's timelines this week. Um, I personally love uh, Wulu and would die for my sheep son that I've never met. Um, and I'm sure a lot of you all listening will probably feel that way. Just like give him a shout out on the podcast. You know, thanks Nintendo for um, the way that your design Pokemon has evolved. I'm really enjoying this new shift in focus whereby it's not so much about creating an analog for a real world animal as in, you know, a Gen 1 with Rattata and Pidgey, which are obviously rats and pigeons. And a bunch of other sort of, I guess, real world analogs. I quite like how the designs seem based around personality now. So I'm liking that. I'm liking it. I look forward to seeing more adorable, adorable Pokemon. So overall thoughts, mostly positive. I am mostly positive uh, mainly because I'm waiting for a mainline game for so long. It's a bit like how I felt before Kingdom Hearts 3 came out. It's like, if at this point it's disappointing, my brain just won't register it. (laughs) my hopes are so high and my dreams are just I can't let them I can't have them be shattered like this So I'm mostly positive still um on the whole I really enjoyed the news and I really can't wait to hear more about it going into e3 Andrew are you feeling mostly positive kind of on the fence kind of hover handing the series a little bit right now
1: I'm very much on the fence.
0: Mm, fair call um that's right um i'm sure Andy will chime in with some thoughts about how he feels about the whole pokemon thing because he is also a pokemon fiend like me
2: Hey everyone, sorry I couldn't be there for the live recording, but it's been a busy week of Switch news, uh, and I wanted to get some thoughts in this episode regardless, so uh, let's talk about the Pokemon Sword and Shield Direct. Uh, So I was definitely excited for Sword and Shield already, but part of me felt that its release, uh, just personally for me, was a little too close to Let's Go, it's only been a year, and that I wouldn't really be ready for another Pokemon game so soon, but this direct has completely swung me on that, I am now officially really hype. I think the way they're going about this is incredibly smart, it looks like the standard Pokemon structure is here, you'll travel the region, collecting and battling to become the very best, Uh, and so that means that those resistant to change won't freak out at uh, new innovations, but then it also looks like there's enough new stuff here to really reinvigorate the, the series quite a lot at least within the the traditional structure, and in ways that make it feel like a proper next-gen Pokemon. Uh, and when I say stuff, I mean stuff like the wild areas, which are these huge, sprawling environments with weather changes. Uh, it just looks amazing, and I can't wait to get lost in these really vast, green-looking parts. Uh, especially now that it's confirmed that Sword and Shield is mixing... Overworld spawns uh, with typical encounters with random Pokemon in Longgrass, which are now also completely optional, which is great, because that often just felt like arbitrarily slowing you down. You had no choice. Now, if you see the exclamation mark, you can engage or run. Entirely up to you. Uh, And yeah, after Let's Go, uh, part of my worry with Sword and Shield, or at least part of my hesitation... To be over excited for it was uh, going back to forced random battles would have felt like a massive step backwards. Uh, so I have a huge relief that this mixture of overworld spawns and and optional random battle seems to be the new direction going forward. Uh, other stuff uh, as as it has to be said, uh, as someone that you know, if you listen to this podcast, you know I'm not big on multiplayer. Even I'm down for those uh, pogo style raids on the gigantic Pokemon. It looks really interesting, a good way to bring multiplayer stuff together. I'm assuming they're still going to have the PvP things in there, but this is a a good little way to bring teamwork into it. Uh, but it does sadly bring me on to the one part of the trailer that, that didn't really impress me, which is Dynamax. Uh, and that's this iteration's version of Mega Revolution. That's all it is, really. And instead of getting a meaner, cooler-designed Pokémon, uh, they blow up whatever pokemon you're using to K- kaju style sizes for three turns uh, and honestly it doesn't seem to me that it adds anything particularly important to battles it's just a visual thing maybe you know they'll get more power uh, i hope to be wrong but at this point it feels gimmicky and not actually that new at all and it's just a, a visual replacement for what's already come before overall though the new stuff has won me over uh, especially the uh, Sif the Great Grey Wolf homage in the form of uh, one of those legendaries carrying the sword in his mouth. Uh, So yeah, so that's me. My anticipation was previously at a 7, it's now at a 9. I can't wait to catch them all. Well, at least enough to see me through the story anyway.
0: On the whole, um, I think as a group we're all at varying varying levels of excitement for this upcoming Pokemon game. But are you going to get Sword or Shield if you do get it?
1: Well, having been the downer that I've been the past few minutes... I, I got the double pack pre-ordered.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, bless. There, oh, there we have it, folks. For posterity, Andrew has bought both Sword and Shield for those out there. He's not a naysayer, um, just a very, very informed critic. He's bought both. I'm going to go Pokemon Sword just because it reminds me of the vine of the kid running around. And it's like, what have you got there? It's like a knife. Yeah, I, I want to be knife dog. So I'm going to go sword and hopefully Andy goes shield. Um, Andy's we'll going to go sword
2: <laughs>
1: because of Sif and Dark Souls. We all know this.
0: Okay, you know what? You're probably right. So it looks like Andrew will be the sole sword player um, on the team. But that's cool. That's it's cool. Shield um, player. <laughs> shield player. Sorry. Yeah, the sole shield player on this stack swords team but yeah as we find out more about this pokemon game we're obviously gonna um give you guys little updates along the way we will have an e3 episode i suspect we're obviously doing predictions this week but there's going to be more e3 news for us to cover next time so hopefully when you hear us say pokemon next we're gonna have some updates for you on pokemon sword and shield the united kingdom is is separated forever <laughs> let's move on into the next section of this week's podcast which is going to be what we played this week so for some highlights we've got the iconoclast um we've got masquerada and time spinner as well as two small games from me one of which i am particularly excited to talk about and let's get the show on the road <laughs> all right everyone welcome back to um our segment about what we played this week so like i said we've got a pretty bumper list for y'all um and we're gonna kick off with a title but um the andrew checked out this week Iconoclass. so i personally have heard plenty of mixed things about this so let's see if andrew can set the record straight for me andrew what is it What are you doing it, and did you like it?
1: Iconoclast was a big deal when it came out early last year. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think it was a PSN game. Uh, and From what I understand, the development history on this game has actually been followed for quite some time, so maybe a lot of that good feeling was just a result of... This person, Joachim Sandberg, who has been working on this game for quite some time, and he finally finished it and put it out. So that might account for where all those good feelings came from. And this game is really well made. It has really good production values. The music is excellent. Uh, The graphics and the animation are really high quality. And the bosses are just fantastic. They're incredibly well designed. Uh, Each one has some unique gimmick to it so that way each one has you doing something a little different in the constraints of this uh, action platformer but there's maybe too much of a good thing there uh, because by the end of the game I was like seriously another boss Uh, it really did start to drag the game down towards the end and kind of messed with the pacing uh, because you know you're 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 chugging along very nicely towards the next set piece or even towards the next boss that you're expecting to fight Mm -hmm. and then suddenly this character you've never seen before shows up and you have a boss fight with them first so i think that was maybe over designed there maybe some you know you got to murder your darlings you you gotta you've got to cut something no matter (laughs) how much you like it and I, i think i think a boss or two could have been cut out and it would have been to the game's strength. Sure. But having said that, the bosses are the best thing in this game. And if you want to play Iconoclass, maybe find a, a friend who has a completed save file and just play through the boss rush there, you'll get the best things that are in this game that way. And you won't have, it'll only take you a half an hour to see it all. But Iconoclass outside of the bosses, is an adventure platformer. It's in the style of metroid or uh, an iga designed castlevania game uh and it has similar problems to a game that i played earlier this year called feudal alloy and I, I complained in feudal alloy where when i found something hidden in the environment it wasn't always an upgrade whereas in metroid or in castlevania you find a hit point upgrade it's a hit point upgrade you get more health uh but in feudal alloy you'd find an upgrade and it would be something you'd equip. And maybe it wasn't better. Maybe it's even worse than what you already have. You can't know until you find it. Mm. Very similar problem with Iconoclast, which has a system in it called Tweaks, which are three different upgrades that you can equip on your character at any given time. And when you find things hidden in the environment, they're actually crafting pieces for these Tweaks that you can build at a crafting station uh, in each of the towns. These Tweaks do pretty negligible things. Like, one of them lets you breathe underwater for a little bit longer. Another one prevents you from taking damage, and then the tweak actually goes away until you restore it, and I'll talk about Mm -hmm. that more in a minute. Another one lets you, like, spin your melee weapon longer. It's all pretty minor upgrades, and then the real problem with it is how the tweak system actually works is... They're like shields that you equip on your character, basically, and once you get hit by one, then you lose one, and you get hit a second time, you'll lose your second tweak. You get hit a third time, you lose your third tweak. It's pretty easy to get hit in this game, so quite often I found that these tweaks that I was putting a lot of effort into crafting and finding the parts for and upgrading... I wasn't even really using them. Yeah, so it was a lot of effort and a lot of energy going into these really negligible upgrades that quite often I was not even actually using. Uh, I did I did continue throughout the entire game finding as many of these upgrades as I could because the the puzzles that they're hidden behind are actually usually really good. But as far as like you know finding a new ability or upgrading your character so that way you can maybe fight against a boss a little better. That element of the game just is barely here, and that's kind of disappointing. And that carried on into the enemies. There's no experience system in this game. Uh, At the start of the game, Robin, the player character, is exactly as strong as she will be at the end of the game. When you kill enemies, they drop ivory, which restores your tweaks a little bit, but you have to kill Mm -hmm. a good dozen enemies to get one of your broken tweaks back in that time, you're probably gonna get hit again. So again, the tweaks are worthless. Uh, after about the halfway point of the game, I was just avoiding enemies whenever possible because there was no reward to fighting them and there was no downside to avoiding them. It was faster, it was easier. So I just I just quit killing things because there was no point to fighting them. Again, mm. like with the tweaks, it was a lot of effort for no reward. And this, mm. yeah. And The side quests, there are a few side quests. They're super boring. You you talk to an NPC. They want you to take something to another NPC. You take the fast travel system to another town. You turn it in. You, they give you something to take back to the first NPC. You get an upgrade. That's it. Uh, it doesn't add anything to the game, and that that's all it is. It's just really boring. As for the characters and the story, and that that was the thing that people really seemed to like. And I, I'm wondering, I'm wondering if I'm not getting something uh, because almost every character in this game is both unpleasant and unsympathetic. I did not like almost anybody in this game. And I'm not sure if that was a deliberate choice, if the author was saying something by doing this, or if I was supposed to agree with one of these factions or one of these characters, and I just I just wasn't. Uh, but either way, I didn't enjoy being around any of them. I did not feel inclined to support any of them. And uh, a lot of the characters, I think this might be where I was having trouble. Is they're overwritten? Uh, they just keep talking mm-hmm. and talking and talking and talking, and it's very philosophical stuff. But I don't know if it actually meant anything. And I tried finding like some analysis that somebody had written. You know, this might be some high-level stuff that's just above me, but I couldn't find anything that really seemed to explain any of this. Not the least of which, because mm-hmm. the most talkative characters are the villains who you're supposed to disagree with so uh it was just unpleasantness all around just enduring these characters none of whom i liked or Mm. cared about really and there's two sides in this game there's the villains who are this apocalyptic fascist personality cult and then you get yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) that's pretty standard stuff for uh for uh, yeah. video game villains, but then you get drawn into these characters who are called pirates, and what they really are is they're a heteronormative, like collectivist fertility cult. Uh,
0: oh my god! Both
1: groups in this game are cults. And neither one is appealing. I wanted nothing to do with Mm -hmm. either of them. Which is good, actually, because Mm -hmm. Robin, the player character, uh, does not talk, does not have a personality. So she really didn't feel like she was actually involved in either side anyway. So it it didn't really matter. Uh, So Robin is an empty Mm shell. And the plot and her involvement in it is, is really driven by the supporting cast of characters. There's Royal, who is like this forsaken Child of the the fascist cult, and mm. he he he's trying to be better. He is. Uh, it's just he's he's a sociopath, and uh, right. it, he's been raised to believe that he's a god. So, Ah uh, oh, Sephiroth, yeah, uh, got it. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> he tries, but he he still doesn't get there, and he's not sympathetic. And Elro, Elro is Robin's brother, <laughs> and. I have not despised a video game character as much as Elro since Squall and Final Fantasy 8. I just, yeah, wow. I absolutely hate Elro, and I really don't want to get into why, because I would just, if you played the game, you probably know why, because I understand that this is mm-hmm. not an uncommon feeling about Elro, <laughs> uh, but he... he he wastes time uh he almost all of the conflicts in the plot are just caused by him just being a butthead uh yeah Mm -hmm. and then there's your your third character is mina who is the only pleasant and the only sympathetic sympathetic character in the game which is good because she's basically the second the second main character uh she's part of the the fertility cult but she, she's, act, oh, she's actually gosh. in a, a lesbian relationship with another woman. But because they are a fertility cult, they kind of oppress this pair because they can't procreate. Uh, yeah. Aww. Uh...
2: Yeah. No. Again,
1: nobody in this game is <sighs> <laughs> is pleasant, but Mina I, I really liked, and she was she was probably the the thing that kept me drawn in this game because she does not really get a happy ending because she's still with her fertility cult. But there is a nice moment at the end where it shows her with her girlfriend, and they're together. They have an ending, <laughs> so that is mm-hmm. like the one bright moment in this game. <laughs> so, uh, mm-hmm. just it, it it's a boring adventure platformer. The bosses are really good, and it, it does have really high production values. The The guy who made it, Joachim Sandberg, I, I want to say he made the whole thing solo, which is really impressive. This is a really well-made game. It's just uh, a, as an example of its genre, you know, alongside Metroid and Castlevania. I've talked about this before. Those are really high benchmarks to meet. And this is just another one of those games. that just doesn't meet it. Just the, the writing and the characters. I don't know if there's a translation problem or, uh, if it's just to tackling themes and philosophy on a level that I'm just not engaging with. I just, I didn't enjoy any of it. So, uh, play the boss rush at a friend's house and otherwise avoid this game
0: wow um that has not necessarily engendered me towards wanting to play the game anymore (laughs) (laughs) um i had heard lots of things about the writing and the characters that had really put me off and that was sort of i guess the one area where i was hoping you'd say you know it's not that bad jenny it's not really that bad um alas it did not with some of the
1: characters i just started clicking through their text because i was just so tired of reading the rants about just just the rants i was just so done (laughs) it's like if you have something to say say it in two sentences then move on it's called
0: yeah (laughs) yeah fair call uh really really not sold on the heteronormative collectivist fertility cult Strange Those are that supposed to be
1: our good guys, <laughs> apparently. Near as I can tell.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Strange, strange that that I wouldn't be sold on that particular <laughs> lifestyle. But um, you know, that's all right. Um, it it sounds like just a lot of overwrought writing um, affected what could have been a really good experience. Um, so, mm, yeah, well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you experienced it anyway. Um, like you said, it was a really, 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 really hyped game when it came out. So I, I probably had high hopes peripherally for it. Um, but yeah, good to know a little bit more to make an informed choice. So this week I also played a game which um, had a little hype around it when it first came out. Um, this is more than over a year ago. And it is a game which is called Masquerada. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Yeah, it is Masquerada, and it is called Masquerada Songs and Shadows. So this was released probably in 2016 initially on the PC, I believe. Um, And now, um, more recently, on the Switch. And it is essentially an isometric RPG developed by a Singaporean studio. Woo! Shout out to, to my home country. And the one thing that the project got a lot of buzz for is it's fully voice acted. Every single line of dialogue is voice acted. Wow. Every single <laughs> interaction fully voice acted um, by the likes of people like Matt Mercer and other really famous voice actors. So I don't know how they managed that um, for a game with like a $20 price point um, on the PC. I, I really don't know how they managed that Um <laughs> From what I would consider to be a relatively small studio that's only ever produced two games. I mean, great that that happened. Still don't know how. Very curious to to find out why.
1: Open checkbook, swivel wrist.
0: (laughs) Probably. Um, But um, it is essentially, like I said, an isometric RPG, well, tactical RPG set in, I guess, an analog for Renaissance Venice. And, and the premise here is that you've got supreme class of art. You've got the haves and the have-nots. And the haves are people that use masks to do magic. And essentially, if you are of the haves, you can do magic, have a fancy fancy mask, um, and have access to all manner of good things in life. Better job opportunities, you know, more money, access to the government, to bureaucracy, blah, blah, blah. If you're a have-not, you can't use any magic. You have no mask. And you essentially live like anyone else would have lived in the Renaissance period that was a have-not. Uh, awfully. <laughs> Pretty badly. And the game kind of throws you into the middle of, of a civil war between the lower classes and the upper classes. Um, which has been started by people who have, people who I guess, the have-not stealing these magic masks from the upper classes to arm themselves and perform magic and, I guess, level up the status quo. So your role in this whole shebang um, is you play a magic detective. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, you're a detective. You're an expert investigator. So you used to work for the government um, until your brother was key in the civilian uprising because um, your family are previously have-nots. Um, and you get exiled from the city for five years because of that, for crimes against the state. And then, seriously, they let you back to solve the mysterious kidnapping of a diplomat. Um, that's And somehow you get pulled back into the web of intrigue, you know, you get pulled back into the rebellion, into, into your brother's, you know, sort of uprising and into what that meant for the city. And it's a very, very interesting mix of, of subjects, um, I thought. So it has, I would say, I, d- I don't want to say Dragon Age style politics- Politicking because it's not as involved, a, a, it's not as involved in role playing as a bioware game. But I think that it has an incredible amount of story that it conveys incredibly well. Um, so unlike I suppose the the rants that characters go on, um, potentially in iconoclast, the the dialogue between characters seems very very focused on establishing motives, um, and as you go through as you progress right locations in the game and you find certain i guess like shiny points of interest the game fleshes out evolving lore entries in a journal that you're keeping um it kind of feeds you the law of the world over time as opposed to just kind of throwing all in and being like you've read this book here's 100 years of history about the civil war in this game world as you progress through the world and you pick up things it fleshes out these diary style entries that you're writing um to help build out your idea of the of the law in the world so I found that really interesting. And also great because I really hate reading word dumps. Yeah. I, I mm-hmm. cannot stress mm-hmm. enough how much takes me out of the moment. If I'm running around and the game saying, all right, there's a time-sensitive mission. Someone's going to die. We need a race to find this small child or she's going to die. You know, or someone's going to die. Or some family's going to die. I really hate running into something that looks shiny having the game pause, <laughs> have a screen come up, and then just like a page of text. And I'm just thinking, if a kid's life is on the line here... I am not reading and running, Yeah, you know? That's a health and safety risk. I'm just straight running. I'm not doing any reading.
1: I prefer audio logs, definitely.
0: Yeah, so I really like that when um, when you are running around and there's a conversation happening, the game's audio doesn't cut out. Like, you know how sometimes when you're playing a game and there's preloaded audio scenes or like audio reactions, when you move to a new part of the map, they kind of cut out and something else kind of happens. The The dialogue here is ongoing as you're traversing. So I, I really kind of enjoyed that that touch. I felt like my party was always communicating and they always had something cool or witty to say to each other because of all the personality types. Um, characters, in, in terms of how those panned out, I really, really enjoy what they've done with the breadth and the scope of the characters. They have an incredibly diverse cast in terms of sexuality, um, in terms of race, um, in terms of representation. So I really, really enjoyed that that was done. And also really can't understate how impressive and brave that was from a Singaporean studio where being gay is still essentially a crime. So really, really, really good work to uh, the Witching Hour studios for incorporating a fully fleshed gay character, gay male character, because that is specifically what is illegal in Singapore. So really well done, very very sensitively done um and i just really enjoyed the interplay between characters and the story and the way that all panned out it is it is hard to tell a story like that you know class conflict like you know magic anti-magic all these common rpg tropes that we see all the time in in everything from dragon age to mobile rip-offs it's really hard to tell a story that compellingly without getting into the nuts and bolts of the characters and i think what they've done here with masquerada being fully voice acted for all the characters um, is they really kind of pull that focus back onto how the characters see each other it's not so much a story that explores the the wider world but more the effect of the wider world on individuals and so i found that really interesting combat wise this is the one thing i'm going to say about the game which is probably not a positive combat wise it is uninspired it is top down isometric rpg so you know what that means you've got four skills um, that have cooldowns. You can pause the game to go into tactical mode to position your characters. Um, You can pause that on each of your characters' turns, I suppose. Um, And you just uh, hit things. Spells happen. Um, (laughs) There is nothing particularly novel or new about the interface. Um, And the way that it's all kind of happening all at once, it's not turn-based per se, um, it can lead to a really, really large visual mess. Because, you know, your characters will have huge AOE fields of skill, so will enemies, you know, characters and enemies will run around everywhere. You could position a character somewhere, tap to a new one, and then have the AI go, you know what? I like my idea of running into the wall. I will run into the wall. You'll just go, God, please, why are you doing this? <laughs> so um, my, my one letdown is, is the combat, and I think it would have been better if there had maybe perhaps been a fully story focused mode like um, Planescape Torment, for example, where there was no combat, I would have been completely fine if the game had zero combat. Like, it would have t- told a great story regardless and been entertaining. I didn't need any combat. But the frequency at which combat can occur in this game, just over time and the way that it plays out, um, I got quite tired of that. Um, Probably around, like, maybe the 10 hour or so mark, I was like, God, I really don't want to fight anything anymore. Like, it just seems to remove me from the bits of the game that I care about. And there or so because it is a, a PC port essentially um, and it looks great. Um, it, it runs well like I said voice acting all their environments detailed. You do suffer from the the curse of oh. the the loading screens. Oh the
1: loading show okay
0: <laughs> yeah
1: I thought it was going to be the controls that were the problem and I'm re-
0: Oh no controls completely fine okay. like praise the Lord controls all work very intuitive. didn't have any problem with those very easy to use. <laughs> ui was the right size didn't didn't appear tiny on the handheld which isn't which is a miracle (laughs) because usually (laughs) as someone who plays mostly on handheld um unless i'm forced to because the text is aerial size too um i i I really really like that i could see everything that was really nice thank you studios for watching our studios for having text that i could read from i appreciate that um but no very intuitive control shortcuts um very intuitive controls overall just the load screens, I think the worst, the longest I had to wait was four seconds, five seconds, which is not long. No, oh, no, that's not bad. Like, right. I was fine with it. I was fine with it. But a lot of people <laughs> seem to think that that was a very unreasonable time to wait for a loading screen. A lot of
1: people need to just so suck it up.
0: <laughs> so if you're someone that thinks, you know what, four seconds loading screen deal breaker for me, oh, I don't know what to tell you, buddy. Like, you're missing out on a really, 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 really interesting game. Um, I would recommend this game for anyone that loves a good story that has characters that aren't overwritten, Those characters <laughs> that are very personable. Um, but be warned, um, the combat, I had a lot of patience for it because I absolutely loved that analog for that time period. Um, Renaissance Venice, I absolutely loved how they explored the class issues and the characters. And I love me good narrative. But if your patience, but I mean, I feel like your patience will wear thin quickly just based on how often combat occurs and how much, the combat feels like a slog compared to the rest of the game so that's my that's my warning to you really is i love masquerade i love what it brings um to the genre i love what it brings to the collection of rpgs on the switch um it's it's a very very nice sort of it's a nice change from all the 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 jrpgs out there and atelia atelia lulu and all the other rpgs that take 100 hours because this game really won't uh but yeah the combat that is my one big draw because it happens one big drawback because it happens a lot Mm -hmm. it just happens a whole lot so if you've got no patience for that um then that is probably going to be the deal breaker for you otherwise check it out if you like good writing i really really enjoyed it can't recommend it enough very positive on the game overall
1: yeah i remember when that came out it caught my eye but i I just got buried as too many yeah. good switch games do get buried but uh mm-hmm. yeah that that's definitely going to be one i pick up then
0: yeah it's very good all righty let's move on to another game that Andrew played this week which i was going to get to but i didn't have any time to so this is this is time spinner mm-hmm. Which I believe is by Chucklefish.
1: Uh, they're it's published by Chucklefish, but it's developed published by, by Lunar Ray Games. Mm. But
0: okay, take 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 me through yeah. this uh, Metroidvania. Yeah, it, Metroidvania? it's the same
1: thing as Iconoclast, but it's better. It's so much better than Iconoclast. Ooh. I enjoyed this game so much more than Iconoclast. But going back to Chucklefish, uh, Chucklefish is kind of getting to the point where it's kind of like Devolver Digital, where uh, uh, they're if it's a game that they're publishing, you should probably take a look at it because it's probably something special. Uh, mm. th- I think they have, like, four games out on the Switch, uh, but they still have an argument for being the best publisher on the platform because every single one of those games is amazing. There's uh, Risk of Rain, uh, Stardew Valley. <laughs> I mean, come on. Mm-hmm. Uh Wargroove was Chucklefish, and they developed it, that one too. And then there's Time Spinner here. All four are fantastic indie games, so it's just amazing that they're all from one publisher. But anyway, Time Spinner as a game uh, is another adventure platformer. It's very similar to Iconoclast. It's drawing from the same kind of ideas, but where Iconoclast tries to step out and be its own thing, Time Spinner is unashamedly inspired by the Game Boy Advance and DS era Castlevania games Uh, it looks like them it plays like them the map is stolen from them I was a big fan of those games so naturally as soon as I saw a video of Time Spinner in action I was like I should check this game out and I actually did really like this game Okay, so when you're playing Iconic Class, you find an upgrade. It's probably not actually an upgrade. In Time Spinner, thank goodness, when you find something <laughs> hidden, it's a freaking upgrade, okay? I find a health potion that increases my hit point total. I find something that increases my magic point total. Or I find something that increases my sand total. That's what you find in this game. Come on, this is not hard. You're copying these games, so just copy them. Thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> but aside from that, uh, there is a, a, an orb weapon system in this game that I just think is so cool. Uh, you you play as this woman who has these magical abilities, and she fights with these orbs, and she can have two of them spinning around her any time, and she gets quite mm. an arsenal of different orbs that all have different abilities. Like One of them will turn into a sword when she swings it another one turns into a giant hammer when she sings it one of them fires beams of energy one of them is a gun uh one of them creates ice shards under the ground and you can mix and match them you can use two of them at once and mm. it just alternates between attacks every time you press the attack button you also can equip passive abilities that are based off of uh, the orbs you have equipped and also active spells like actual magic spells that you'll cast that deal a lot of damage and these orbs level up as you play the game so the more that you use like the sword orb then the stronger the, the sword spell becomes in addition to the the sword orbs actually becoming stronger as well uh th- that does lead to a problem where like the orbs that i found early on because i'd been using them so much they i got into a sunk cost fallacy where they uh, they yeah. were so strong that I felt little need to change to one of the new ones, but this game does have new game plus in it. So like if you really like this game or if you really want to play through with one of the orbs that you get at the end of the game, you can do that and this might be related to the problem i had with the orb system is the enemies they felt a little too easy oh, yeah. I, I felt like i could face tank just most of the game just just sit Oof. there and just hit the attack button until whatever was in front of me would was dying up to and including right, okay. up to and including bosses which was disappointing oh. but there is a nightmare difficulty mode which is unlockable and i also think i might have been overleveled because I did spend a lot of time mm. exploring, because, hey, the upgrades are actually upgrades. So I, I felt <laughs> uh, I felt more inclined to actually explore the entire map. And uh, I also did the side quests, uh, which had me grinding a lot. The side quests in this game yeah. are, are still boring, uh, which is disappointing. <laughs> uh, yeah. You Very early on in the game, you end up in this town filled with these people who give you side quests to do but all the side quests are is just sending you back to places you've already been to kill things you've already killed and Mm. some of them want you to just kill a specific number of an enemy and others want rare drops from enemies so you just end up grinding (laughs) it's not very interesting side quests it's more interesting than iconoclasts uh but it's still not very (sighs) interesting but I, I, i still felt rewarded for doing them because i got experience points for doing them and i got a lot of character development out of it from these characters in this town that the main character Lune really gets to know them and uh, starts to become one of them and kind of diverts her from her original goal. So at the start of the game Lunay is part of this kind of mystical mage village and they have this thing in their possession called a time spinner. And what they can do is they can use the time spinner to send uh, one of their people back in time to give a warning about a catastrophe that might be coming. And oh. what happens when that person becomes a time messenger, though, is they become erased from history. And Oh, hell. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so like, if this actually does happen to one character, it's described in a letter that you find. She gets sent back in time uh, so... Her son gets erased from history, I think, and she has a really hard time dealing with that, Uh, but Mm -hmm. she does hook up with her husband again, and they have another kid instead, Uh, but they have a really strained relationship because this person feels like their new kid is like a fake replacement, and they did some cool things with this, even though uh, you can completely ignore it if you want to, because all this stuff is just in letters and in side quests, which are totally optional. But it is a time travel game, and it's uh, an adventure, you know, Castlevania-style game. So it's pretty predictable what it does with the map. You know, there's a future version of the map. There's a past version of the map, and you go back and forth. And things you do in the past change it in the future. This stuff was really cool in the 90s, but it's 2019, and we, we were just we're really accustomed to this. It's not impressive anymore. Uh, it, it's... It's well done. There's nothing really there to complain about, but it's familiar. The map, I think, is the biggest problem with the game. Uh, It's not a very interesting map, and it feels really stretched. Like, uh, it, it goes really far from the left to the right, but doesn't go up and down very much, so it's not very dense. It's not like when you're playing, like, Metroid, when you bust through a wall, and you're like, oh, I'm here. I had no idea this left here. You will never have that moment in this game on this map. Yeah, Because uh, it, it really does just starts on the left side and goes all the way to the right side, and the rooms feel really elongated and just filled with enemies just so they take longer to get through and this was still a game that i got through the bad ending and the good ending in less than 10 hours it's not a long game and it would have been even shorter if the rooms weren't these massive hallways filled with enemies to fight so that was my main complaint about this uh in terms of design but Mm -hmm. also related apparently to what you played in Masquerada. Uh, I wasn't expecting that from a game set in the Renaissance. Uh, And also, Iconoclast with our heteronormative fertility cult is everybody in Time Spinner is gay. It's kind of amazing.
0: (laughs) Yes. Uh, Vindication!
1: (laughs) Lunay, the main character, is bi, and by the end of the game, she's hooked up with a, a trans character and yeah. Uh, yes. <laughs> the other members of the camp that you get to know if you do all their side quests, they're all in gay relationships by the end of it. And I was looking at the yes. reviews on this on Metacritic. There are some oh, of course. there are some goober gators who are mad about this and it's just like, you know, oh, you guys course. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There have been oh, that's amazing. decades and decades and decades, or if you even want to go all the way back as far as, you mm. know, literature and plays centuries and mm-hmm. centuries and centuries of just straight relationships and nothing but heterosexual relationships if mm-hmm. one person wants to make a game where everybody in it is gay and y- it's even culturally explained very <laughs> in very minute detail that this mage clan that Luna is a part of it's just how they do mm-hmm. things they are polyamorous and they sleep with whichever sex they want and the women sleep with a lot of men so they can have kids because they need them. So mm-hmm. it's totally normal. It's presented as totally normal, as it should be. And if there's one game out there that chooses to go this route, and frankly, there should be a lot more because this stuff is a lot more common than freaking gators want to believe it is. It's good that there's a game out there that is like this. I was absolutely thrilled to see something like this, to even see like, a trans character handled the way it was. They even have a conversation mm-hmm. where, like, uh, y- you don't know this character is trans uh, when you first meet her. And after Luna and the Alchemist get to know each other better, she comes out as trans, and Luné is like, "Okay, mm-hmm. I want you to know that this doesn't change how I feel about you." Yeah, yeah, it's a great moment. I loved seeing that in a game like this, especially since you know I was sitting down and thinking, "I was like, okay, I'm going to play a Castlevania game where I throw orbs at enemies <laughs> to smash their skulls open, and then all of a sudden there's
0: <laughs> <Sick>. <laughs> there's this
1: LGBTQ stuff in there, which I was not expecting him to be there at all. It was a very pleasant surprise. Obviously, I'm not in a position to say this was well done. This spoke to me, mm-hmm. but it felt tasteful to me. Uh, so yeah, I, I think it's worth exploring just for that surprise little tidbit being in there.
0: Okay, interesting. Um, that is good, because um, like I said, this is a game that I really wanted to try out this week. I just didn't get the time to. I was disappointed you and didn't I... play it because I, I
1: wanted to have a, a nice <laughs> conversation about this with you.
0: <laughs> yeah no i am definitely going to get around to this then because i i love it i love this i i love the the premise yeah. and it sounds like exactly the kind of game that i i am can sink my teeth into i'm surprised that the difficulty that i suppose that that it was easy yeah. mainly because a lot of the i guess the metrovania clones on the switch often don't run up against that problem um but it'll be cool to try it out and see where i sit on that might just be
1: my skill level too you know another person might play this and actually struggle but i found it quite Mm -hmm. easy but you know just from your situation you know when you got Mm -hmm. like kind of class with mina Mm -hmm. one of our heroes being oppressed by apparently the good guys because she's in a lesbian Mm -hmm. relationship because that means she's not having Mm -hmm. kids and then then you got time spinner (laughs) <laughs> mm-hmm. which I played in the same week and has a game where everybody is gay and that is awesome. It, that was yeah. not a purposeful contrast but it was one that I noticed. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, no, that's awesome. Very keen on that. Um, And we'll definitely check it out this week because I've basically wrapped every other game I played apart from Masquerada. So I'll be very keen for that. Um, I, like you, really, really enjoy all the games that Chucklefish has put out so far. Um, And this looks like another home run for them. So I'm very, very pleased by that. Love me good, Metroidvania. So speaking of Metroidvanias uh, on Metroid likes such as i hate using that term so we've got gato roboto which andy and myself both played which is the story of a little cat that could a little cat and a make suit that could so um andy has spent some time with it as well like i said and he's gonna walk us through what the game's about and how he felt about it overall so take it away andy
2: and hello once again, it's me again. Uh, just going to talk about something I've been playing this week, which is uh, Gato Roboto. A game developed by Doinksoft, published by Devolver Digital. Uh, and it's a game that I've been obsessing over ever since I saw it on the Switch door a week back. Finally caved on Wednesday. Uh, so what's it all about? Uh, well, I've stated before that I really hate the term Metroidvania. Uh, and I've seen that word banded around a few times now for, for this game. Uh, but it absolutely does not fit here because there's no Vania to be found, only Metroid. Uh Gato Roboto is basically a bite-sized slice of Metroid, but instead of Samus Aran donning the mech suit, it's a kitty cat. Uh not a anthropomorphic cat either, just a regular tabby. Begins with uh, a space pilot called Gary investigating a signal on an abandoned research facility. Uh, satisfied that there's nothing to see, he's about to return to his usual business when his faithful kitty Kiki uh, jumps on the control panel in the same way that my cats jump on my keyboard to activate some obscure feature that no one on the internet knows how to disable. Uh, but in Gary's case, it sends him crashing to the planet below. Uh, he gets stuck in the ship and is unable to move, so he trusts Kiki to explore and find out exactly what's happening. From here, you can probably tell by now that the story is light-hearted. It's minimally... Uh, drip fed throughout, and the the setup gives it this uh, ridiculously delightful tone that carries throughout as you go around exploring the facility. Uh, but it's in its exploring where the Metroid uh, love is at its most evident, from from each area's layout to its visual elements, like the research center's dome shoot to open doors, and even the mech suit that uh, Kiki dons itself. Everything here is a straight up homage to Nintendo's sci-fi explorer map but on a far smaller scale. Uh, what it does lack uh, is Metroid's colour, because this is built entirely in black and white, but they do a lot with it, with just these two colours. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't say that each area is overly distinctive, they, they rely on each area's given gimmick to convey that instead, like there's a lava area and things like that, uh, but it's still full of character and, and pleasing to the eye, uh, especially in regards to Kiki's animations, uh, and particularly when outside of the mech suit, uh... So the, for example there's a bit early on where before getting the suit you come to a pool of water, and the way Kiki reacts by halting and going flat-eared just have been stitches. Uh, the gameplay itself is a lot of fun, uh, especially in regards to world, world traversal. Uh, again it follows Metroid's lead here, the, faci- the facility is basically one big level but areas are gated and rooms are hidden until you find the correct tool to do the job. Uh, For example, the first upgrade you get is rockets, which uh, let you pull up certain walls and then gives you access to the next area uh, from the hub level, called the Nexus. Uh, Later you'll get double jumps and an invincible dash, uh, which helps you reach somewhere else. Uh, Some places can only be reached by ditching the suit, uh, which allows Kiki into really tight spaces uh, and to climb walls, but it leaves you vulnerable to a one-hit kill. Uh, Even with that though, it's not a particularly challenging game, combat is simple and easy going until you get some uh, hectic gauntlets and runs at the end. And the bosses are in the incredibly easy once you know how bracket. The platform is not its strongest suit either, especially not when Kiki is without the mech suit because it gets a little finicky. But I had a good time regardless. And it is a short time. Uh, I don't know the exact time frame but I think I finished it in under 5 hours. Uh, but I really appreciated its brevity in a year where the Switch is just getting inundated with lengthy RPGs, uh, a couple of which I've still got to finish. Its playtime means that the things it lacks, compared to some of the more complex or visually appealing metroidvanias, it means it never has a chance to become apparent, so therefore it never feels bloated, and it sort of ends at a time where it just feels perfect. It's a succinct little adventure, uh, like this was exactly what I needed at a time where I seem to be struggling to see see games all the way through, uh, and I definitely recommend, if you like, Metroid and Cats.
0: Now that we've heard a little bit from Andy about his Gato Roboto experience, um, I'm going to chat a little bit about my Gato Roboto experience. So, like I said when I led into all of this, it is literally a game about the cat, in the mech suit that could, um, and as Annie just mentioned, in terms of story, it's pretty bare bones. But I I enjoyed it. It is a very short game. Um, you'll be one and done in let's say like eight or so hours. You know, really really simple. And for me, like I said earlier in the podcast, talking about Pokemon, surprisingly, I love Kaiju, love mechs, and I also love cats. So cat in a mech suit is just like the perfect formula. <laughs> for me. And and I really enjoy, I guess, what they what they've done with the aesthetic of this game. Um in particular it reminds me of Minute a lot. Fully binary black and white. Um small maps. Um very minimal interface, but everything that you need to know is clearly, clearly signposted. Um and it's just a really, really interesting way to do to do a Metrovania to, to I guess have to build on variety in in MetroVanias. So For context, obviously, like I said, you play as a cat um, and you get a mech suit, but you have different suit abilities based on what you're essentially putting on, Um, and the game makes very, very good use um, of of terrain traversal and whatnot to give you a very, very varied platforming experience. Um, I would say it's a lot less heavy on the platforming difficulty aspect than some of the metrovanias um, that we have seen so far on the Switch. Um, it is is really, really a lot less about safely traversing the environments because from the beginning you get things like wall climbing, for example. It's not about making your way around the world so much um, as it is using these suits to combat the enemies, which respawn constantly. Leave a room, come back, there again, you know. Um, and in a game whereby you'll be retracing a lot of your steps constantly um, as a tiny, relatively helpless cat, this can be very, 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 very annoying um because you have things like ammo limitations suit health limitations as a cat you're very very squishy um so i would say that you are constantly having having to to look out for for yourself in this unforgiving um space station abandoned world but no i, I really really enjoyed it it does remind me of minute it's a kind of like a bite-sized hit of a metroid like and it's it's really it's interesting to have the payoff and to have to consider i suppose tackling a new room either with a suit or without a suit because the suit will give you extra abilities, but it's damaged by water, can't fit into tight spaces, um, and you might like run into a room full of enemies and see like a tiny little hole and go, "Great, I can't escape through that. or a huge body of water and go, "Well, I'm screwed now." So I really, really enjoy that that play um, that trade off, I suppose, um, with with how they, they use the suit in the game um, and how the level the levels are set out entirely. So um, I like that uh, a constant sense of discovery. Um, when you, and it's really nice seeing areas that you can't access and then doubling back maybe in, let's say 10 minutes with something new and going, Oh, I I know how that works now. So it gives you these really, really good, small hits of, of progressing. And I definitely didn't find it difficult to the point whereby I was basically like scratching my head and going, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to, to, how to deal with this. And I had a really good difficulty curve. Um, and the aesthetic was adorable. Yeah, it's. I liked it. It was a very small, bite-sized hit. Um, I wouldn't so much call it a Metroidvania as maybe like a a, a Metroid light, like a, like how a Bud Light is a light version of a regular beer. Like a Bud Light um, is a of, bad say,
1: version of a regular beer.
0: Uh, okay, maybe not then. <laughs> um, just um, I, I suppose we're we're time spinner, maybe a Metroidvania type title. It's a micro. Got a yeah. Gato Roboto is like a, a much more easily digestible version of it's it. a domestic um, brand. Not... Sure. <laughs> um <laughs> We'll go we'll go with that. Um like I never felt like I was kinda hitting my head against the wall. Like the bosses were, were cool. They were easy to defeat, but I never felt like I had to have like ten goes at something to get to get it done. It was a very nice bite sized hit of the stuff that I enjoy about, like, a tightly designed um, Metroidvania-esque game. So if you want a quick hit um, of a game that's basically impeccably designed, really hilarious sound design. Um, <laughs> I, I really enjoy the, the way that they have soundtracked enemies um, and, and your, your cat owner and just, I'll leave it to you to experience, but they make some pretty hilarious noises. I really, really enjoy what they've done with the design, the concept, the cat anime thing, beautiful. Um, so I love it it's a bite-sized hit and if you are someone that loves cats loves mechs and want something a little less time intensive than some of the other games that we've just talked about in the podcast today I highly recommend Gacha Roboto and I'm pretty sure Andy does too
1: hey Jenny. yeah breaking news yeah Dream Daddy a dad dating simulator has been confirmed for Nintendo Switch
0: <sighs> yes this is the best this is the best day for the gays we did
1: not plan sorry. this because this is pride month this episode just happened
0: yeah this is this is the best news for the gays ever sorry crane i'm just over here gesturing in the air this is yes pride month happy pride month to everyone we interrupt our regular scheduled programming to bring you this news that dream daddy is coming to the nintendo switch Thank you. Praise Queen of the Gays. King of the Gays. Whatever. This is amazing. This is great.
1: Thank you, Elton.
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm sure we'll have something a little bit more coherent to, to say about this next week um, when it will still be Pride Month and we will still be loving all of all of our, 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 our gay brethren in games. Um, and it is just... Uh, happy i'm so happy (laughs) so happy um anyway yes dream daddy news news aside back to our regular schedule programming for one last game one 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 last game for this week's bumper episode so this game um is a little bit special to me um not because i'm particularly enamored with space um but because of the, the 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 person behind the game um so just for some context um the up talking about a space war arena. This has been out for quite a while. This is not like a current current week month release game. Is this
1: based off like the Space War Space War?
0: I'm not old enough to answer that Oh,
1: question. Space War was the first video game <laughs> ever. So I, I I just the title caught me.
0: <laughs> uh um, sorry, yeah, I would, I am, I am not of age to answer that question. You have to be aged up a bit. Your
1: history, Ginny. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you have to age me up a bit, like those Galar kids, to, to get a real answer out of me for that one. Um, but no, so space war arena, um, is is a little bit special, um, to me. Um, mainly because of who has who had designed and, 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 I guess, created the game. So just for some context, we did receive codes for um, Space War Arena. And we're going to do a Space War Arena code giveaway. As this is a multiplayer game, we'll have multiple codes to give away so you can play with your mates. Um, but essentially, um, keep an eye out for how that's going to work um, on Twitter this week after our episode comes out. But, 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 but space war arena um, is by the person behind echo the dolphin so um in case you don't know <laughs> what echo the dolphin is very 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 iconic game of my childhood um one of the few games that i, I played when i wasn't play with those one of those weird like educational leapfrog pads that doubled as games back in the day um echo the dolphin was probably one of my favorite games um ever um i thought it was just Iconic. It was a very, very simple game. Um, You really kind of swarmed around as a dolphin. There were sharks. Um, You explored the deep blue sea. Um, The cover art was pretty metal for a kid's game, (laughs) is is what I remember. The dolphin, I was like, oh man, like my mom, I think when she bought it, she was like, you know, this dolphin looks really aggressive. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, "Uh, I'm four. So... (laughs) So, you know. But it, it is a very, very classic game of the, the, the Genesis Mega Drive era. Um, it was also released on the Wii and the Xbox 360 later on in life. Um, and the GBA. Uh, so, it is a, a game with a very, 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 very storied history. So, yeah. That is Echo the Dolphin for you. This game was created by Ed Annunziata And... It is not about dolphins. I sort of put it out there right now. <laughs> Aww. Um not about dolphins, no space surprisingly dolphins. a game called No, a game called Space War Arena is about space. Everyone's <laughs> in space. So uh real time space combat, um, that kinda remind that kinda reminds me of, of, of deck building elements. Um I don't know if this is anything to do with the original space war game, which Andy seems to be remembering from um, from the 1970s 60s or something um i was around for that can't comment on the accuracy if this is like inspired by that at all or not but um i really enjoyed what i did play of space war arena so i am the podcast unofficial multiplayer fiend essentially um, and this is a really really good multiplayer game um, but first let's just i guess crack into to, to the bare bones of of space war arena space war arena um is is basically a top-down strategy game um you have a base your enemy has a base you spawn ships and you destroy your enemy's base (laughs) that's that is that is the t that is how that works um you win if you destroy the base and yeah the game is essentially just a series of these battles i am not someone that plays a lot of games i suppose like space war arena so i really appreciate the very very involved tutorial Um, What the game does is actually populates a a tutorial instance for each of the initial ship types that you have that you can unlock in the game. Um, So it makes you play through using these ships. Um, If you're someone like me who enjoys the hands-on learning experience um, when you're dealing with something new, you'll like this. If you're someone that feels like you're being spoon-fed this too much, you might hate this. Because it really does kind of slow down the start of the game a lot when you're literally sitting through how to use you know, Battle Cruiser XYZ um, about four or five times. Um, But uh, aside from that, once you clear all the tutorial stuff and you're into the, I guess, the main campaign of the game, you are basically collecting ships, uh, buffing up your base, um, attacking enemies, destroying their bases, getting upgrades, you know, rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat. You might unlock a whole raft of ships, um, which all have really, really unique capabilities, but you can only bring eight to a battle so that's where i sort of mentioned the the deck building quote unquote preparation element whereby you need to make sure that you've got the right ships to combat who you think you're going to be facing down so it's like a it's like a cost trade-off thing so like um obviously fancier ships will cost more resources to spawn lower lower ships of course less to spawn very very simple deck building mechanic stuff right so you could let's say want to stem the tide of, of battle with some low cost ships and send them out but then they'll die really quickly or vice versa, you might want to wait and set out some high-cost ships, but then you risk your base getting damaged and you know, vice versa. So it, it really is kind of about balancing the interplay, kind of like controlling your own space armada, essentially, um, and dealing with the enemies on space armada. This sort of stuff, single player, I am not incredibly compelled by. I was not particularly drawn in by any particular narrative reason as to why I was destroying people's bases in space. I mean cool thanks for the ships. <laughs> um, but it definitely is not the kind. Of, it's not the kind of game that I think that requires a whole lot of narrative justification for the base mechanic. I feel like that's kind of a bit of a waste almost. Um, but single player it is it is not something that I would say I found particularly captivating, but the game does play a lot better multiplayer in my opinion. Um, mainly because there is a a competitive element to it. So this is same screen multiplayer um, which again is like a very sort of like I guess nostalgic throwback and I I do like it. It's it's local 1v1 multiplayer which I enjoy uh, that I've tried out anyway and I I, I do think that when you've got someone on the other side that you know there's like a face to attach to the base um, and someone to yell at um, when when your ships mess up that it makes the whole experience a lot more captivating. Having the whole sort of faceless enemy um, ship hovering in space thing doesn't really do the game any favors. Uh, but multiplayer, it just feels a lot more dynamic. It feels like the stakes are a lot higher. Maybe because my flatmates are now sick of me um, having played all, of, all through the Mario multiplayer games with them and they now hate me. And it's now a very... It's now, a, it's now a death dance to the end when we play multiplayer games in this flat. Um, but the, uh, the tension was there. The tension was most definitely there. And yeah, I much enjoyed it this way. It is obviously a 180 from Echo and the Dolphin. I cannot stress enough. Do not. Just because the game was made by the cool dude that made Echo and the Dolphin, there are no dolphins. <laughs> no dolphins. No underwater levels. This is literally just base-on-base spaceship combat. So if that is not your thing at all, then you want to tap out right now. Um, but if you're looking for a multiplayer game, um, which is a little bit more involved than the usual in terms of strategy, um, it has a really, really cool flavor to it and a nice soundtrack, um, then I would, yeah, I, I'm happy to recommend Space War Arena. Um, but like I said, with a huge caveat that as a, as a single player game, I found it very, 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 very hard to get invested. So just letting you guys know, multiplayer fans might be one for you. Single player fans, I don't know. So, um, Yeah that is that is my verdict um on space war arena i don't know um if you're gonna check it out andrew at some point maybe you'll want to to hash out one single player stuff but uh that's sort of that's sort of my my take on the game at this point in time and we will have a giveaway um of codes like i said for space war arena so watch um on our twitter uh, switch at switch focus pod when this episode comes out we're gonna give you some instructions on how to enter and be eligible for this giveaway Um, And you, too, can enjoy uh, space warfare combat without dolphins with your friends, as your heart desires.
1: Well, Echo the Dolphin did have that one level underwater where you find the crashed UFO and the game suddenly got really scary. So (laughs) it could still be set in the same universe.
0: Maybe I haven't gone far enough in the single-player campaign. Maybe there will be a gigantic attack on Titan-esque dolphin attacking my spaceship base. Who knows? Who knows? Um, so we're going to move on to our E3 predictions we'll keep these short um, because... <laughs> sorry Craig <laughs> <laughs> because this is already a super long episode and we're obviously going to have a dedicated or mostly dedicated E3 episode next week so we just want to give you a little taste of what we think is going to happen um, so I'm going to fire off um, with our sure things um, so Andy has said that his sure thing is going to be Cadence of Hyrule launching during the direct. My sure thing is going to be Persona for the Switch. Um, and Andrew's sure thing is Hollow Knight Silk Song. So I think all of those are pretty reliable takes to have, um, especially uh, the Hollow Knight take and Cains of Hyrule. My Persona one is probably the least reliable of all those takes. <laughs> um, but I think we've seen enough trailers for a Persona Switch game that it's, it's possible and Ether would be a good time to do it especially with all the royal announcements coming out around Persona at the same time. So, yeah, you know, that's I, I, feel, I feel pretty positive about that. Uh, what about you, Andrew?
1: Well, I, I picked Hollow Knight Silk Song because Hollow Knight was the E3 release for the Switch last year. Mm-hmm. And
2: mm-hmm. Hollow
1: Knight came out in 2017, very early 2017. It mm-hmm. kind of got buried by all those great games that came out back then. And its console yeah. release, especially its Switch release, was its second life. Uh, I think the developers owe a lot to the Switch release for the success and the notoriety the game has now. Uh, so I think Hollow Knight Song being featured during the Nintendo Direct at E3 is a a, a sure thing.
0: Yeah, fair call. Respect that and totally expect to see that. It would be really great to see that because I love Hollow Knight and I can't wait for this. We have got our last-gen port predictions that are going to come out at E3. So for Andy, it was Dark Souls 2. I mean okay um, Such an Andy I choice. predicted <laughs> I predicted the Witcher Which is a very Ginny choice <laughs> And Andrew predicted Spyro Arena, a Trilogy Why not You know I, I I would be okay With that Um, I think all th- I think all are reasonably possible I know there was Some stuff this Week particularly About whether or not The Witcher 3 Would run I doubt Witcher 3 Was going to be One of this That's why I didn't Say Witcher 3 I anticipate the Original Witcher Probably would be The best bet For a Switch There's port. a whole
1: thing With the original one Where it's PC only. Uh, mm. I, th- I know that they made that one with like a, a really like uh, modded modded out engine for Baldur's Gate games. I think I want to say, uh, and they struggled with it, which is why they made their own engine starting for Witcher Two, and that's another reason mm. Witcher Two was available on consoles. Uh, but that that's why yeah. the original Witcher is still a PC exclusive. Uh, so I think if we were to see Witcher on the switch i think it would be witcher 2 which would be an odd choice mm. I, I don't think people are really so hot on witcher 2 uh but yeah they're not yeah <laughs> i think would be the most likely guess for a witcher port on switch
0: interesting okay yeah fair call i'm happy to leave that one more open and yeah um we've also got um either predictions which we think are not gonna happen even though we want them to happen so for Andy's it's near Automata. I'm sorry, Andy, but good god man. Such an Andy like, choice. How are we how are we ever gonna run near Automata <laughs> on this Andy, we can't even run Witcher Three, my guy. How are we ever gonna run near? Andy, please? <laughs> um I said Shadow of the Colossus. Um I think it's old enough that it's possible. Um and and Andrew, you said Witcher Three. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I think we're all sort of pushing the the hardware limits here with our choices <laughs> well, that's of one, what, we, never going of to what we want. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's what we yeah. want. Um it's going to happen. But if we get even one of these in this list, I will be super, yeah. super stoked and really, really happy. Um, so, so we'll see. We'll see. Um, yeah. yeah, that's sort of our quick fire out of E3 predictions. So keep a note of these um and let us know what yours end up being um but we'll revisit these next episode obviously and yell about how wrong we all were when witcher 3 slash of the colossus slash new automatic comes to the switch um at some point fingers and toes crossed
2: okay back again uh, this time for our little e3 prediction segment So first up, my sure thing prediction is that Cadence of Hyrule will launch during Nintendo's E3 Direct. Everything is telling us that it's during June, um, with no release date specified. The missing info kind of makes it completely obvious to me, so uh, I'm sure we'll be uh, bopping along to that Remix Zelda music very, very soon. My pick for last gen port is going to be Dark Souls 2. We've had the first one. Rumours have said originally that Bandai Namco were working on the full trilogy, and I reckon it will be announced on the Direct, and will be out before the year's end, or at least in quarter one in 2020. And my final prediction, which is the not-a-chance-but-I-want-it-anyway category, is Nier Automata. Uh, If only because I bounced off it on PS4, Uh, Even knowing that it was completely my sort of game, but it being on the Switch would absolutely get me through it and a lot quicker than it would on other platforms.
0: Last but not least, stuff we're going to be playing this week. So um, I will be playing Finishing Off Masquerada, um, hopefully, and I'll be playing Time Spinner because I support Pride Month. And I am so excited for it now after what Andrew has said. So that's what I'm going to be doing.
1: Everyone
0: is um, gay. All the time. We are all gay. Speaking for myself here. <laughs> nobody else in the podcast. But <laughs> all the time. So excited to live this fantasy 24-7 in Time Spinner as well. <clears throat> on top of that, Andrew, you said that you're going to play whatever launches at E3. Yeah, Smart move, I think
1: Andy's move. got a good call. Cadence of Hyrule is going to be their game where you can download it after this direct has ended. I almost positive that's going to be the case but even if it's not there's going to be a game that launches after the direct and unless it's something mm-hmm. that i'm just like oh no uh I'll, yeah. I'll probably be talking about it in the next recording
0: cool good cool. and then andy will let you know what he's gonna play um real quick right now
2: okay so what i'm playing this coming week uh well when i grabbed gato roboto i also bought the swords of ditto as i was like really into its art style I, I was just as obsessed with that on the store as i was gato roboto uh so uh, i've been playing a little bit of that i'll talk about it more in a future episode otherwise it's more chocobo's mystery dungeon uh which has uh, taken hold of me more than i thought it would and i'll be sure to scope out cadence of high rule if my prediction is on the money see you next week
0: so that is what we are going to be playing in this coming really really hectic e3 week um and that is really it for today's super super long show so just to wrap up real quick um thanks for listening to us to this episode of switch focus podcast if you enjoyed the episode leave us a review on the soon to be defunct itunes uh, we're trying to get on spotify it's, it's a process but we'll get there um you can also listen and subscribe on stitcher TuneIn, and other podcast services uh, you can also join our discord server to interact with the lively switch focus community follow us on twitter youtube facebook and at switchfocuspodcast.com for updates news and other content and we're going to leave you links for that in the show notes as well like i said before in the episode we are going to have a giveaway for space war arena um and we'll have instructions for that coming out this week um well very very soon actually um on our twitter account um and we'll let you know exactly how you can win one of these sweet sweet codes and engage in some space warfare with your mates so enter keep an eye out for that And if you want to support the show, you can also buy us a coffee. Um, Details for that are on our website and it's a pinned post in our Discord server. So you can follow us all individually. Andy is at Flame Roast Toast. Andrew is at Play Critically. And I'm Ginny at Ginny Woes. All right. And we'll be back next week with our super, super packed E3 episode. Thanks for tuning in. Good night. Their parents don't sign any consent forms like what is this like it's just so irresponsible like can we can we get like an older pokemon you know <laughs> oh <let's fall>. <laughs> <laughs> that's
1: the first time that's ever happened believe it or not <laughs>
0: yeah i just i'm really passionate about aging up the series